We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Some of you have heard me teach before uh, that Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, uh, in, uh, in, in his great book, uh, Jewish Literacy, uh, talks about the story of Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis. And uh, he says that central to this story is God's question to Cain, where is your brother Abel after Cain has murdered him? He says, where is your brother Abel? And Cain's response is, Hashomer achi am I my brother's keeper? And Rabbi Tulushkin says that that unanswered question is the foundational question of all the Torah. And in some ways, the Torah is an extended affirmative answer to that question. The answer to the question is, yes, you are your brother's keeper, you are your sister's keeper, and here's how to do that. Here's what we mean by that. Here's why that's important, and here's how to construct a society founded on the principle that we are the caretakers of one another. That, I think, is the frame in which, the proper frame in which to study and look at the story that we, that we read this Shabbat and that we are reading over the course of last Shabbat through the next few Shabbatot, the story of Joseph and his brothers. Because I think at the fundamental level, this is a story about brothers coming to terms with answering that question in the affirmative. Joseph's brothers are envious of him. They despise him. They loathe him. And so they conspire to kill him in last week's Torah portion. And then they decide not to kill him, but rather to just throw him into a pit so his blood wouldn't be on their hands. Now, one of the brothers, as we talked about last week, is seen by his other brothers as a leader in the group. And many of the commentators say that this brother could have stepped up and said, let us not kill him. Let us not throw him in a pit, and let's return him to our father. And they would have listened. But instead, that brother is the one who comes up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. That brother is Yehuda. Not that Yehuda, a different Yehuda. That brother is Yehuda, Judah. Judah starts the story as, perhaps you might say, the villain. 
He's the one who could have saved Joseph's life, but nevertheless makes the choice to sell him into slavery. But that's why I think that this whole narrative of Joseph and his brothers is actually not a story about Joseph. And it's not a story about Jacob. It's not a story of Reuben or Shimon or Levi. It's not a story of Benjamin. This is Judah's story. This is Judah's story. Judah is the one with the narrative arc. Judah is the one with the redemptive arc. Judah is the one on the hero's quest in this story. Because Judah starts the story with that fatal flaw. Judah starts the story with the question, am I my brother's keeper? And Judah says, of course not, I'm not my brother's keeper. Throw him in the pit. Sell him into slavery. So Joseph is sold into slavery. Judah sees what that does to his father. And then later on in last week's Torah portion, something strange happens to Judah. Judah's sons begin to die. And Judah begins to see what it feels like to lose a child. What it must have felt like to his father to believe that Joseph had died. Judah also has a child that refuses to uphold the principle of being my brother's keeper. We read in last week's Torah portion, his first son, Er, dies, leaving his wife, Tamar, childless. And so Onan, the second-born son, is supposed to, according to biblical law, procreate with Tamar to continue Er's bloodline. This is central to the Bible's conception of how families take care of one another, how siblings take care of one another. My brother left this world with no children. My brother's line would have ended. And so it's my responsibility to make sure that my brother continues to live even in death. But Onan rejects that responsibility. And because of it, Judah sees his second son, Onan, die as well. And so then... Judah is bested, Judah is outwitted by Tamar into fulfilling the responsibility of procreating on his son heir's behalf. Tamar tricks him into sleeping with her. They conceive a child, and that child becomes, or actually I think it's twins. They conceive children, and the children then live on in heir's place. And Judah ultimately realizes what has happened and says of Tamar, At tzadka mimeni, you are more righteous than I am. Because you know that it's my job, that it's my family's job, that it's my children's job to care for one another. And I have been negligent in that responsibility. And my children have been negligent in that responsibility. Tamar at sadkami meni. 
You are more righteous than I. You are more right than I. You have shown me the error of my ways. And so knowing all that gives us a good foundation to understand Judah's actions in this week's Torah portion, which are pivotal to the story. This is the moment, I think, that the story hinges on. So the brothers all go down to Egypt, minus Benjamin. They go down to Egypt to procure food during the famine. Joseph recognizes the brothers, and the brothers don't recognize Joseph, and so Joseph pretends to believe that they are spies and treats them harshly, believing that they're spies, and holds one of the brothers, Shimon, in prison, sending the other brothers back and saying, I will not release your brother Shimon, and I will not give you any food until you bring your brother Benjamin to me. Joseph knows, because Benjamin didn't come in the first place, that Jacob is going to be reticent to let go of Benjamin. Benjamin, like Joseph, being the children of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. And so now that Joseph is gone, all that Jacob has left of Rachel is Benjamin. And so Benjamin, as Joseph was, is incredibly precious to Jacob, who now has already lost a child. So Joseph knows what it means to ask Jacob to send Benjamin down to Egypt. And indeed, when the brothers go back to the land of Canaan, minus Shimon, and they say to Jacob, in order for us to get food to survive this famine, the man in Egypt said that we cannot come back unless we bring ben Benjamin with us. And Jacob, as Joseph predicts, is reticent to do so. And so Reuben, the firstborn child, says the following. You may kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you, if I do not bring Benjamin back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. So Reuben's theory is we need to go down to Egypt. We need to get more food. He's not going to let us go unless you bring Benjamin. I'm going to try to convince my father to let us bring Benjamin. And Reuben's proposition to Jacob is, if Benjamin dies, you can kill my sons, your grandsons. Now, that's perplexing. It doesn't really strike me as a good bargain, as a good deal. Why would that make up in Jacob's mind for losing his son Benjamin, his precious son Benjamin? Why would it make up for that by killing his own grandchildren? And that's why Jacob responds, My son must not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he alone is left. If he meets with disaster on the journey you are taking, you will send my white head down to Sheol in grief. So Jacob says no. But Reuben in that bargain that he tries to make with Jacob, clearly has not learned the lesson of 
selling Joseph and pretending that he was dead. Reuben has not learned the lesson of Hashomer Achi Anochi. Am I my brother's keeper? Because for Reuben, he's willing to sacrifice two children for the sake of one. And so then, they don't go down to Egypt for a while. The famine becomes even more severe. They ate up all of the meager rations that they uh, came back from Egypt with. And Jacob says again, go down and procure some food. And Judah says, nothing has changed here. By the way, Shimon is still in prison. Nothing has changed here. The guy said, don't come back to Egypt unless you have Benjamin with you. And Jacob, again, where is wary. So then, Judah says, Vayomer Yehuda el Yisrael Aviv. So then Judah says to Israel, his father, Shilcha hanaar iti, send the young boy with me. Venakuma. And, and I will keep him. Venelcha venichyev velonamut. And we will be on our way so that we will live and not die. Gamanachnu, gamata, gamtapenu so that we won't die, and you won't die, and our children won't die. Anochi e'evernu miyadi tevakshenu imlo haviyotiv elecha v'hitztagiv lefanecha v'chatati lecha kol hayamim. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I shall stand guilty before you forever. For we could have been there and back twice had we not dawdled. Look at what Judah says to Jacob here. Jacob says, send the boy with me and I will protect him. And I will be personally responsible for his welfare so that the guilt will fall on my head should anything happen to him. Judah is a person who has learned to answer the affirmative, Hashomer Achi Anochi, Ken. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And from this moment on in the story, and we'll see it even more starkly in next week's Torah portion, spoiler alert, David, we'll see it in next week's Torah portion, Judah becomes the leader of his brothers and the exemplar of this principle of protecting and defending his brothers. He shows that he has learned the damage caused by not being one's brother's keeper and thereby the responsibility that he has to protect and defend his siblings. To be responsible for them, to keep them in his care, and to recognize that what harms them should harm him too. This is the essence of the story of Joseph, I think. 
the learning that Judah has, the redemptive arc of Judah, to recognize that he is his brother's keeper. It becomes even more stark when you think about the story embedded in the larger historical narrative of the Jewish people. Because one way of looking at the story is that this story explains why Judah is, uh, becomes the tribe from which kings were to derive. King Solomon, King David, and ultimately we're told the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. We, for what it's worth, all unless we come from the tribe of Levi and we're Kohen or a Levite, we all come from the tribe of Judah. We're the remnant of the people of Israel, the, the northern tribes represented by Joseph are no longer in existence. And so on one level, this story is an origin story of how it came to be that the person who merited the kingship, the person who merited the Jewish survival is the one who embodies the principle of being his brother's keeper. But it's also possible to look at it looking backward, that in the context of, of uh, biblical criticism, in the context of when this story may have been written, during a period in which the kingdom of Israel represented by Joseph had fallen into decline and maybe even had been destroyed by the time that this story was written down, and the only surviving kingdom was the kingdom of Judah, it might be telling us two things. First, that Judah merits survival through its learning of this principle, but also maybe that if Judah had really learned this principle that we're now writing about as a morality play in the Joseph story, if it had really learned this principle, then maybe the kingdom of Israel wouldn't have fallen. Maybe the kingdoms of Judah and Israel wouldn't have split in the first place. The arc of Jewish history might have been entirely different had the people of Judah actually listened to this principle, actually lived it, actually built a society founded upon it. And then the notion that the Messiah, the redemptive figure, the redemptive era will come from Judah, but of course has not come yet, is based on the notion that we will not live in a redeemed world until we too, like our ancestor, follow through on that redemptive arc. Until we too learn that we are our brother's keeper, that we are our sister's keeper, and we have a responsibility to build communities and construct societies in which that principle is practiced and affirmed in every way, all the time, by each and every one of us. And perhaps it's why we almost always read these portions over Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah, I have been uh, reflecting on this a lot over the past week, the ritual of Hanukkah is lighting the Hanukkiah, is lighting the menorah. But we don't just take a match and light the menorah. 
we use a shamash. We use a helper candle. The menorah can't be lit without the shamash. We need a candle to bring light to all the other candles. We need a candle to take responsibility for bringing light to its fellow candles. We can't fulfill our obligation if it weren't for the shamash. And so, just as in Judah's story, we learn from the shamash that it is our responsibility to bring light, to support, to empower those who are near us. And unless we do that, no illumination can happen. Cain asks in the book of Genesis, Shomer Achi Anochi, am I my brother's keeper? Rabbi Tulishkin says that this is the message of the entire Torah. And what our Torah portion this week reminds us is that we have the possibility, we have the capability of following Judah's path or of rejecting it. And if we follow it, then as is foretold for the tribe of Judah, redemption will come from us.